You're listening to a message from Mercy Culture Church, home of Pastor Landon and Heather Schott in Fort Worth, Texas. For more information about Mercy Culture and ways that you can be a part of it, visit mercyculture.com. All right, good morning, Mercy Culture. Uh, do me a favor, stay standing. Uh, that song that Jalen was singing earlier, it just, I don't know about you guys, I got rocked in worship. Yeah, somebody back there, I see you. Uh, can we just sing that before the Lord together real quick? Uh, just stay standing, just lift your hands. Not by might, nor by power, but by your spirit of the Lord. Not by might, nor by power, but by the Spirit of the Lord. Sing it again. Not by might, nor by power, but by the Spirit of the Lord. Not by might, nor by power, by the Spirit of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. The main text for today, I'm just going to jump right in, if that's okay. Numbers 32, 9 through 12. It says, why do you discourage the Israelites from coming over into the land the Lord has given them? This is what your fathers did when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to look over the land. After they went up to the valley of Eshcol and viewed the land, they discouraged the Israelites from entering the land the Lord had given them. The Lord's anger was aroused that day and he swore this oath. Because they have not followed me wholeheartedly, not one of those who were 20 years old or more when they came up out of Egypt will see the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not one except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they followed the Lord wholeheartedly. This morning, I came to tell you that God expands territory through friendship. The title of today's message is Expanding Territory Through Healthy Relationships, Expanding Friendship. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we don't make room for you this morning. We give you this whole room. This room belongs to you. You can do whatever you want in this place. And so we're asking you to speak to us. Would you give us eyes to see you? Would you give us ears to hear you? Would you give us our hearts that are tender to responding to you? And I just declare over this room that not by might, not by power, but by your spirit, Lord. It's the only way that freedom happens in this room. It's the only way that deliverance happens in this room. It's the only way that breakthrough happens is not by anything we can do with our words, by a message, by songs, it's only by your spirit, Lord. 
And so come do what only you can do in this room today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen? Well, like I said, we are expanding territory through healthy relationships. That's the series that we're currently in. I'm loving this series. Uh, We've had some incredible uh, Sundays together of God just kind of shifting the way we view relationships, shifting some of our thoughts, healing us of things of relationships. Uh, And I just believe we should be talking way more about relationships in the church. Anybody agree? We should be talking way more about these things. Uh, I think it's interesting that we're the most connected generation via social media, but the loneliest. And we have so much of a connection with our phones, but still we don't have like real authentic friendships with people somehow. We follow people on social media, we can tell you what they're doing in their whole life, but like we haven't talked to them in years. Right, it's really strange, but that's the state of where we are. I believe that some of what we're seeing in this generation specifically regarding uh, the same-sex attraction and the LGBTQ community and all of that, I believe that a lot of that is because we failed to teach about healthy relationships in the body of Christ. That there are relationships that are not full, that relationships are not fully realized, that people aren't walking in the fullness. God ordained a purpose for relationships because we have kind of left our posts in this space. And so uh, I'm thankful to be in a house where we're talking about relationships or we're talking about friendships. And uh, that's what we're doing today. Uh, Why do relationships matter? Well, first of all, because they matter to God. God cares about relationships. Uh, We see it all throughout the word of God. He's a God of relationship. The Trinity, it's a three chord relationship. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Before he even made you and me, or even thought about you and me, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were doing relationship together. God created mankind for relationship. He created Eve because it wasn't good for man to be alone. Then gave his son so that we could be reconciled to him in relationship. So God really has a lot to say and really cares about relationships. Uh, One of my favorite pictures of the Lord's heart for relationship was Samuel. And you can find this passage that I'm going to talk about right now in 1 Samuel chapters 2 and 3. But it, Samuel is one of the, the greatest prophets known to man. Uh, you know, he's the one that picked David that the Lord used to anoint David in the earth. And so we, we love Samuel. Samuel's amazing. I love reading through the book of Samuel. Uh, but there's some really interesting things that happen in chapters 2 and 3 that I just want to highlight for you guys. Uh, there's these little spots where it says things like, Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Samuel grew in favor and in stature with the Lord and with man and that Samuel ministered to the Lord. So there's, that's, that's you and me, right? That's the lives we live. We're ministering to the Lord this morning in church. Uh, we grow in favor and stature with each other and with God, relationships growing. It's everybody likes you, you serve in church, you serve, you're on the serve team, you lead a group. Like that is Samuel's life. In fact, the top of chapter three, it even says that he was sleeping in the temple. So like Samuel is a church boy. He loves the house of God and grew up in the presence of God. But there's this really interesting scripture, uh, this verse, chapter, chapter three, verse seven. And it says, even though all of that was true about Samuel, it says, but Samuel did not yet know the Lord. It's very interesting. That means that you and me can be in the house of God, 
ministering to the Lord, growing in favor and in stature with God and man, and still not yet know the Lord. Did you know that? Did you know that you could be serving here and super connected, super a part of all the things that are happening, growing up in the presence of God, but not yet know him? But there's this interesting thing that happens with, with Samuel. It says that there's this situation that happens when he's, he's sleeping in the temple and he hears somebody call his name, Samuel. And he runs to Eli, you guys know the story. And Eli says, no, go back to sleep. That wasn't me. You messing my sleep up. Go, go back to sleep. He didn't say it just like that, but I imagine that he was pretty irritated a little bit, maybe. Uh, and so then he goes to sleep and then he comes back again. Same thing. Yes, Eli. And Eli's like, no, that wasn't me. That was go back to sleep. So he goes back in the third time he comes back and Eli, it says that Eli perceived that it was the Lord calling Samuel. And so he says, mm, got it. This time go back and when you hear him call your name, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went and did that. The Lord spoke again, and then he said, speak, Lord, your servant's listening. And all of a sudden, what happens is Samuel and the Lord begin to have this dialogue. They start talking with one another. God starts sharing things with Samuel that he hadn't shared with anybody yet. I love this story because the only difference in this story between the moment where God says that he did not yet know the Lord and then this other verse where all of a sudden it says that Samuel knew the Lord and that God didn't let any of his words fall to the ground, that's a big statement. That's like, you know, when you fall in love, you're on the phone late nights and, you know, as my generation would say, you just caking. You know, you're just talking on the phone and all of a sudden you're like, I'm hanging on every word you say, baby, you know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't know if any of y'all ever said that. Anybody? No, it's fresh for me because I just got married. So I still feel that in my heart. You know what I'm saying? But, but that term is a term of intimacy. God's saying, I'm not going to let any of your words fall to the ground, Samuel. The only difference between that statement in the statement of Samuel not yet knowing the Lord was a dialogue. That was the only difference. That Samuel began having conversation with God and all of a sudden God says, oh, I'm not gonna let a word of yours touch the ground. There was a shift in the relationship. And I want you to know this morning, just like Samuel desired, or the Lord desired with Samuel, the Lord desires dialogue with you. He desires friendship with you. It's not enough for you to just come to church. It's not enough for you to just get super involved in ministry and do all the right things, say all the right things. He's actually after friendship with you. That's what he really wants. That's what he was after with Samuel. And as I was praying into this weekend's message, I heard the Lord say, tell them I want friends. That's what he said about you guys this morning. Tell them I want friends. Friendship is incredibly important to the Lord. The word of God only specifically mentions God having friends four times. It was referring to Abraham. It was Jesus referring to Lazarus. It was Jesus referring to us. And then it also says that God talked to Moses like a friend. 
So that's only four times where it mentions God in this friendship space. Not only does God value friendship, but he wants friendship with you. And a lot of us have only related to him outside of his actual nature and character and the things that he actually wants with us. Some of us have related to him as a slot machine. Let me see how little I can give to get the most. Let me see how little I can show up in my daily personal encounters before the Lord, but I still want everything. Some of you have related to him as a mean dictator, afraid of authentic conversation with him, waiting for him to raise his hand at you. Some of you have related to God as a man, expecting him to operate the way you do. And there's so many ways we relate to God that aren't actually true to his nature and character. Some of you have a hard, you have a hard time even believing that he wants friendship with you because your perspective of God has been completely hijacked by your perspective of man. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. He's not like me. He's not like you. He's not like us. Thank God. Anybody else thankful that he's not like us? Anybody else look in the mirror and just be like, thank you, Lord, that you're not like me? I mean, am I the only one? We're thankful that he's not like us. That's the reason that we worship him. It's the reason we say he's holy. Even the best fathers on the planet fail in light of God as a father. Even the best mothers on the planet fail in light of the nurturing of the Holy Spirit. Even the best friends on the planet fail in light of the love of my friend Jesus. He's different than us. And a mark of spiritual maturity is making what you see submit to the reality of the word of God. A mark of spiritual immaturity is relying on what you see to adjust, inform, and alter your faith in him and his word. What does this look like? Well, it looks like us letting our earthly relationships dictate what we believe about God. You know, there's a lot of correlations between our earthly relationships and our relationships with God. For example, a lot of times there's a correlation between God the Father and how we relate to our earthly fathers. There's often a correlation between the Holy Spirit and how we relate to our earthly mothers. There's often a correlation between Jesus and how we relate to our brothers, sisters, and friends. Here's how this plays out. You don't trust God because people have given you every reason not to trust them. Although his word says that he's trustworthy. Or because your dad was unfaithful to your mom in their marriage, you started believing that God wasn't actually faithful. Even though the word says he's faithful, what you see in the natural has begun to adjust, inform, and alter the reality of who he is. Because your mom was always too busy to help, with, to help you with schoolwork as a child, you started believing the Holy Spirit didn't really want to teach you or help you. Even though Jesus said the Holy Spirit would teach you all things, that he'd be your helper. What you saw in the natural began to inform, adjust, and alter your perspective of the Holy Spirit. So you just stopped asking for help. Because your siblings bullied you so much, even though they thought it was just fun and games, they never had your back, 
You have a hard time believing that Jesus is actually seated at the right hand of the Father saying good things about you and praying for you. If any of those things just struck you or resonated with you, I would encourage you take those things before the Lord in your daily personal encounters because our relationships, our earthly relationships affect more of our perspective of God than we know sometimes. So even for some of you, you're listening to me, you're like, ooh, mama never did help me with homework. I never do ask for help. You know, like it's, it's stirring up things in you. I wanna encourage you, go take that before the Lord and ask him to help you. Ask him to put his hands on those things and to bring healing and insight. Uh, this is one of the many reasons the enemy comes after relationships in our life. It's because he knows that broken relationships with people often result in broken perspectives of the nature of God. And you can't afford to allow what's seen in your life and in your relationships to adjust and form or alter your faith in who he is. You can't afford it. And there will be things that are true about God that you don't see in your immediate reality. It doesn't mean that those things are less true about who he is. Sometimes it just means that there's history that he's writing with you, that he's telling a story that's bigger than yours. In my personal life, I grew up with a very unhealthy, basically non-existent relationship with my biological father. And my stepfather was an alcoholic and abusive in our home. And so anytime somebody would say to me, God's a good father, I'd just be like, squinty eyes, like where though? Like I can't see it. Where is that, you know? And at some point I just made a decision. This is, he's a father. It's in the word of God. So I have to believe that he's a father, even if my earthly fathers have not been good. And as I leaned into him as a good father, he encountered me as a good father. And in that encounter, then I had mercy to walk towards my earthly father and actually see forgiveness and to see restoration and reconciliation. Like he used a revelation of who he was to actually heal and restore my earthly relationships. The world says it's the other way around, that our earthly relationships should dictate who our God is. In the kingdom, it's the opposite way. When we stand on the truth of who God is, it begins to inform us of how to relate in our earthly relationships. It's different. And this is also why it's important to be in relationship with other people because God, because God will hide himself in relationships. That there are facets of God that he's reserved for you that he hid in somebody else. And you're waiting to see that thing in your life and God's like, I actually put it in Bethany because I wanna show you, I wanna make you build that relationship so that you can see my goodness in her, through her. Proverbs 25, 2, it says, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of kings to search it out. And as the heavens are high and the earth is deep, so the hearts of kings cannot be searched. Did you know it's not up to you to search the heart of man? That it's only up to you to search out what God has concealed? Some of us, we've called discernment just this ability to tell if somebody's hiding stuff. Y'all know what I'm talking about. People are like, mm, I'm just discerning something. I think she lied. She didn't tell the whole truth there. Like they just, you know, it's just like, you, you're just trying to discern, you're trying to discern the flesh. 
Did you know that true discernment is really seeing what God is doing? And sometimes that will be a warning. Sometimes that will be a watchman on the wall moment where you see something that needed to be saw, seen. I don't know if my grammar was correct. Seen or saw somebody, some teacher in the room help me later. But like sometimes God will show you things that maybe aren't awesome that you do need to see. But I want you to know the goal is not to try to look for the, the, the innermost hidden things in man's heart. The goal is to search out what God has hidden for us. Man hides things from us. God hides things for us. It says that it's his glory to conceal a matter and that it's the glory of a king to search that thing out. It's part of our intimacy and relationship with God is searching out things that he's hidden for us in other people in our lives. He hides himself in relationships because he knows that if we will look for him, we end up finding each other in our truest nature. You know, there's more to me than what you see. And there's more to you than what I see. Some of you are missing out on God-ordained relationships in your life because you never found the facet of God that was hiding in the person he placed in front of you. Instead, you regarded them only by their flesh. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17 says, is Paul saying, so we stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. In other words, there was this time where we just thought that man was a carpenter. We just regarded him by his flesh. We thought we knew him. But then there's this shift that happens when you can see him by the spirit and recognize, oh, he's a savior. Did you know that that same revelation is for us in our relationships with one another? That we were created to see one another by the spirit? You know, one of our values of the house is honor. And we say that honor is assigning heaven's value. But you can't assign heaven's value to somebody's life. You can't honor them if you don't know what heaven's value is. If you don't know what God is saying about somebody. If you only know them by the flesh, how can I assign heaven's value to you and respond accordingly? I can't. It means I have to know what God is saying. There's this moment a few years ago, I, I lived in Grove City, Pennsylvania, this little bitty town. And I was living in the house with a couple of friends, roommates, and uh, there's, we had a next door neighbor named Tim. And Tim was an alcoholic. And I already told you guys, I grew up in a home with a stepfather who's alcoholic. And so uh, I just saw a, little, a lot of bad things happen surrounding alcohol. And so anytime I would see uh, Tim, I would get really afraid. I was just bound by fear. And so I would, I would only go outside if uh, Tim was outside. I would only go outside with somebody else. And really all of us in the house operated like that. So we kind of like, we'd be walking and if Tim was there, we'd be like going this way, like literally like running from this guy, you know, uh, because we were afraid of what he would do. Um, and there was this moment, some of us got together to pray and worship. We we're just getting in the presence of the Lord together. And somebody just randomly said, hey, we should pray for Tim. And the whole room, it kind of shook us like, oh, like, I guess we should pray for Tim. Imagine that, <laughs> praying for the person you're scared of. So wild, you know? And so this person starts praying and they said, God, tell us your thoughts about Tim. 
So we all just started listening. Somebody raised their hand immediately, just bawling. And they said, the Lord just told me that he's been waiting for someone to ask me about Tim. And the whole room just started weeping. And God began to give us his heart for Tim. I'm sure for most of Tim's life, everyone that came across his path regarded him only by the flesh. And because there were a few people willing to get in the room and say, mm, what do you have to say about him so we can honor him according to heaven's value? And the Lord said, I've been waiting for somebody to ask me to do that. I believe the Lord shared that with us because that's what friends do. He shared a secret with us that God shared secrets with his friends, things that nobody else, that he, he hadn't been able to share with anybody else because nobody asked him. But because we were willing to have dialogue with the Lord, he shared something with us that had been in his heart for a really long time. So I want to encourage you guys in the same way, you should be asking God what he has to say about the people that he puts in your path. Ask him. He has stuff to say. He desires dialogue with you. And one of the tools that has helped me steward and build healthy relationships over the years is something that I call relationship inventory. And I just want to give this gift, this tool, this weapon, whatever you want to call it, away to you guys because it's been such a help in my life. And basically what it is, is there's these three general types of relationships uh, that we see laid out in the word of God. There's friends, there's fathers and mothers or mentors, and there's disciples or sons and daughters. And so what I would do is I pull out my journal and I would write down all three of those categories. And then I begin to fill in those categories with the people who are a part of my life who are already operating in those spaces in my life. Uh, let me just break it down for you a little bit so that you know, you can identify who those people are. Uh, the mentors or fathers and mothers are people that pour into my life. Uh, these are the people uh, that disciple you, that walk you through things. I remember uh, one of the greatest things that ever happened to me was about 10 years ago, Pastor Landon called me up and he says, I, the Lord just showed me you're about to step into your ministry. And he says, uh, what you need is an A-team, a group of counsel, a group of mentors, a group of fathers and mothers in your life that you can lean into, that, that will pour into your life. And he said, you should start asking God who those people are, ask him to show you, or ask him to show you, and, and then lean into those relationships. And uh, so I did that, and then the Lord began to illuminate people. And so I started pursuing those people, and I, there's this one lady in particular, I, I saw her at this House of Prayer event, and I literally uh, wrote a note to her and was like, you have something for me, will you spend time with me and pour into my life? I will not waste your time. And she responded and we began that type of relationship. And because of her in my life, uh, I walked into what I get to do in, in music and in worship. Like I wouldn't be leading worship or doing music at all if it was not for her, if it was not for that relationship. Uh, but that relationship didn't come into my life outside of me asking God who he wanted. So there's parts of my destiny that was locked up in that relationship. And I believe the same is true about you. There's also someone who I asked her to mentor me when I was in high school. And she said, I'm gonna pray about it. She went and prayed about it and then came back and said, no. And I want you to know that people have permission to say no to you. Because those relationships are two way. So some of you, you ask somebody, they said no and you got offended and you decided you're not asking anybody else. I want you to know that that's a part of God's, uh, his hand on your life because he has people reserved for you. 
that have walked through the things in their life that you need for your life to walk in the fullness of what God has called you to. And so you have to trust God in that process. The next relationship I wanna highlight is disciples or sons and daughters. These are people that, that, that you're actively pouring into. Uh, these are organically formed relationships that result in you pouring into someone else's life and it works the same way. You hear God and then you obey. There's someone that God begins to highlight to you that you have things for them. Uh, then start being intentional and pouring into their life. But I wanna caution you, don't be awkward. Just because you help somebody fix their car one time doesn't mean that you're supposed to be a mother or a father in their life. So I just gotta say that, like, don't like be walking around, putting your hand on people's head, talking about some, my little daughter. You know, like, like, just chill. There's no need for awkwardness in the kingdom. It's not a part, it's not a beatitude, it's not in there. There's nothing in there for, for that. Uh, just be normal, be cool, be chill. If God begins to highlight relationships like that, just lean into them and do your part. Do what the Lord is telling you to do. The next relationship that I wanna highlight is friends. Those are people you, you pour into one another regularly. There's a mutual exchange here. These are people that I would say, we are able to bear the weight of one another's lives. It's people who can carry life with you and vice versa. Uh, and I want to encourage you in the same way, pray for these friendships. Ask the Lord to highlight them. Uh, and pay attention to friendships that are being organically birthed in the presence of God. So I was uh, in, in the MC Central. We used to do justice nights over there. And I was in justice night one day and I was playing the guitar, leading worship. Presence of God was in the room. And I was just looking around the room and all of a sudden I saw Vanessa Hector. And the Lord just highlighted her. And then he said, she's your friend. Me and Vanessa had never really hung out together. We never actually had like a, like a conversation really. Like we never really built intentionally. And so I went up to her afterwards, trying not to be awkward because I'm telling y'all not to be awkward. And I walked up to her and I said, hey, I just want to tell you what the Lord just told me. You're not indebted to me as a friend. Like this doesn't have to happen, but let me just tell you, the Lord just told me you're my friend. And she started freaking out. And she was like, the Lord just said that to me too when I looked at you that's crazy. And I was nervous. I didn't know if I wanted to tell you because I didn't want to be weird. I'm like, I don't want to be weird either. This is awesome. <laughs> and so we began building a friendship together and it's been a beautiful thing, but you have to be intentional about building friendships. Quality friendships don't build themselves. I want you to remember that they don't just build themselves. They don't wake up one day and you're just like, wow, we're best friends. How did this happen? Like you actually have to like spend time together and care about each other's lives and pray for each other and lean in and weep with each other and, and fight with each other. Like you, you, there's, there's a lot in that space to intentionally building friendship with someone. And I just wanna say, if you don't know where people go on the list, so if you have relationships and you're like, man, I don't know where this person, where Bob fits. Bob from work is not a mentor in my life. Bob from work, He's not mentoring me. Bob from work is not my friend. We just work together. We sell mattresses. Like, that's just what it is. You know what I'm saying? Like, like if Bob is not in any of those roles, don't try to force Bob in a role. Just let Bob be. Like, you could just be coworkers with Bob, okay? Like, so don't think that everybody that you come in contact with in your entire life has to fit into one of those categories. That's, that will be, it, I mean, it's just gonna be a lot of, it, like work and energy for you. Don't try to do that. 
Uh, it's paying attention to the, li- to, the, to the relationships that are already there. The relationships that are already, there's already something stirring, something being birthed there, or it's already been established. Uh, and then I would encourage you to pay attention to the people who maybe are on those lists that shouldn't be. Ask the Lord to show you that. And then there may be people who aren't on the list that should be. Ask him those things. That's what I would do with those three categories in my journal. I would sit down with them, ask him these types of questions, and then write down what he says, hear him, and obey. And whenever one of these roles is missing in our lives, I want you to know there will be obvious gaps in our life. If you don't have mentors in your life, mark my words, you'll be spiritually prideful and capped. You will hit lids regularly in your life. You will get to a place where you think you know more than everyone in the room all the time. It's one of the reasons it's healthy to have mentors in our life. It's a constant reminder that you haven't arrived and that it's okay. When you don't have disciples, people that you're pouring into in your life, usually you'll be spiritually fat and force feeding others. You'll be in a position in your life where you overeat. You just eat all the time and you're never giving away what God has given you. And you know what happens in that situation? It gets harder to move. It gets harder. You're less agile when you're spiritually fat. It requires having people in your life that are God-ordained that you're giving away the things that God has given you. Because if you don't do that, the other thing that happens is then you start force-feeding everybody that comes around you. Y'all ever been around those people? You're around somebody for five minutes and they got a five-point message with an intro, closing, and three altar calls, but you didn't ask for it? (laughs) Can I get an amen? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, That happens when you don't have people that you're pouring into intentionally. God-ordained relationships that are for that. If you don't have friends, you become socially awkward and unaware. You don't know your blind spots. You just do weird things and nobody can figure out why. (laughs) Y'all know what I'm talking about. You don't have to be like that. But God doesn't want us to live like that. You don't have to be socially unaware and awkward. Friends have a way of helping us see things that we can't see on our own. Friends are like that early blind spot detection siren in your car. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Pastor Evelyn, we drive together a lot, Pastor Evelyn and I. And uh, Pastor Evelyn is Puerto Rican. I don't know if you guys knew this about her, Uh, which means she's very expressive with sounds. That's a part of the Puerto Rican culture. It's very important to note. So when we're driving together, you know, if I start to get over and there's somebody, something over there, Past that, wee, whoosh, like she just starts making noises. Like I don't know what all the noises are, but it gets my attention. And it keeps us out of car accidents and keeps me from hitting stuff that I shouldn't hit. You know, like she does that in the car, but she also does that in my life as a friend. It's that early blind spot detection. She helps me see things that I can't see on my own, that I'd be crashing my life if she didn't say, hey, you shouldn't do that. That was weird. Stop doing that. I'm like, okay, I won't do that anymore. So ask God about these relationships. I do relationship inventory two to three times a year, and it has been a game changer for my life. Um, Of those three types of relationships, I've seen and heard the least teaching on friendship. We rarely teach about it, but we use the term so much and so flippantly. 
You know those people who call everybody their friend? Some of y'all didn't laugh just now because that's you. <laughs> it's okay, we're gonna deal with it right now, it's good. But you know like, if I were to call everybody that I meet my best friend, at some point, probably by best friend number like 12, they'd be like, now nah, what's going on? Like we're not, are we best friends or not? You know what I mean? Like it only works so many times. It begins to lessen the value of the word. And the same thing is true about friends, about that term. You need to know that everyone who talks to you is not your friend. You need to know that just because you had a dinner date with somebody doesn't mean that they're your friend. You should know that just because you had a 45 minute conversation with them after that one service talking about that altar call moment that wrecked your life, that does not mean that they're your friend. Just beautiful moments in the presence of God with people, just beautiful connecting moments. Everybody's not your friend. Notice that the Lord didn't casually throw that word around in the word of God. So why should you? Some people say that God didn't say much about friendship, but I think the small amount of times that he actually called people friend in the Bible speaks volumes. It speaks that friendship to God is holy, that it's set apart, that it's not common. And when you take something that is holy and begin to treat it as common in your life, it produces perverted purpose. Perversion is the alteration of something from its original course, meaning, or state to a distortion or corruption of what was first intended. It just means it's something that it wasn't supposed to be. And this happened to me in my life. Over, over a decade ago, I, I didn't have a mature perspective on God's heart for friendship. I'm still learning, still gaining more of a perspective of God's heart for friendship. But during that time, I was extremely broken, offended at the Lord. I was completely disconnected from the community that God had placed me in. And I became friends with this young lady that was in my community at the time. And eventually we became close friends. Next thing I know, we started cr crossing emotional boundaries. Then before I knew it, we started crossing physical boundaries. And one day I looked up and realized that me and this girl were in a full-blown relationship with one another. I couldn't figure out how I got there. I was a follower of Jesus at that time, and she wasn't. Up to that point in my life, I had never in my life struggled with same-sex attraction. That was just never my temptation. And me and this girl would be together, and I'd hear this voice say, well, you must be gay. And it was this invitation for an agreement regarding my identity. And I could feel this warfare happening inside of me all the time. But I felt the Holy Spirit fighting for me. And it was like the Spirit of God wouldn't allow me to come into agreement with this identity that the enemy was submitting to me. And the girl and I hit rock bottom. We were living in a lie around all of our friends, around all of our family. Nobody knew what was going on, but we were, we were dying inside. We were broken. And that same night, the night where it felt like we hit rock bottom, I just cried out to the Lord. I, and I was like, Lord, I don't know how to get out of this. I don't really know how I got here, but I also don't know how to get out. And I need your help. And so I gave God permission 
to do whatever it took to use his mighty hand to snatch me out of that relationship. I said, I don't care how you have to do it, but you can do whatever you want. And I said, even if you want to give a dream to somebody and expose me, like whatever you want to do, please do it, Lord, because I have to be free. And the next morning I woke up and I got a phone call from a friend of mine. And she said, Jasmine, I know this is so weird, but I had a dream about you last night. She said, in the dream, you were in this relationship with this girl. She began to describe what the girl looked like to a T and then told me her name. And she said, I know you don't struggle with this, so this is kind of weird that I'm saying this to you, uh, but maybe it's symbolic of something else. What do you think it means? And I just started weeping. I said, no, I asked for this. This is the Lord's mighty hand. I told the Lord that if he would make a way out, I would take it. And he did. And so that day, I confessed. The word says, confess your sin to one another that you may be healed. I confessed my sin to my friend, to, to the, the girl who called me. And I repented to the Lord. And then I went to the girl who I was in a relationship with and I repented to her and apologized to her. And what ended up happening was that girl ended up giving her life to Jesus. And we both began to walk in freedom and what God had called us to. And it took years for my mind to be renewed. So many thoughts, so many visuals, so many memories that I just needed the Lord to renew my mind. So I got into his word and allowed him to transform me, allowed him to renew my mind. But because I treated the friendship as common, I never asked him about it. I didn't realize that he had things to say about it, that he had instructions, that there was a way that he wanted it to look. And because I treated it as, as common, it became something that it was never meant to be. God has a plan and purpose for every relationship that he puts in your life. But in this instance for me, I stopped asking him about his plans and his purposes for the relationship. I didn't treat it as holy. And it took years to see friendship redeemed in my life. The enemy used this scenario to keep me from God ordained friendships. I was afraid of entering into friendships again because of what had happened. But God was so kind to me. He sent me Pastor Evelyn as a friend as I came out of that season years ago and God used someone who was pursuing authentic friendship with him to redeem friendship for me. And the Lord showed me as I was preparing this weekend that many of you have experienced situations like this where you've been in relationships that started pure and right, but there was emotional boundaries that started to be crossed and physical boundaries that started to be crossed and you've lived in this strange space where you don't even struggle with same-sex attraction. That's not your temptation. You've never lived in the homosexual lifestyle. But a friendship with someone of the same sex went in a direction that it shouldn't have as a result. And as a result, you've lived your life broken, ashamed, and afraid of real friendships. You've allowed the failure of past friendships to minister to you regarding future friendships. And this morning, the Lord wants to bring freedom to you. He wanted you to know that he sees you this morning. God wants to give you his heart and his mind regarding friendship. 
the enemy hardcore wages war against your friendships and all of your God-ordained relationships because they're dangerous. God has plans in your relationships, for your relationships. And there are many strategies that the enemy uses to wage war against them, but I just wanna give you guys just three strategies the enemy uses so that you can be aware of his schemes. Uh, number one is busyness. I felt the most warfare here in my friendships. Friendships require an investment of time and an investment of energy. There's this phrase, this term called the blue zone. Uh, it comes from this partnership between an author and a National, and National Geographic. Uh, they set out to locate places that not only had high concentrations of individuals over 100 years old, but also clusters of people who had grown old without health problems like heart disease and cancer and diabetes. These places were called blue zones. There's five of them that they note in this article. One of the things found as, common, as a common denominator in these places was friendship. In one of the cities in Japan, what they would do is when you were a child, your parents would put you in a group of friends. And you basically spend your life in this like council of friends decided by the community. I'm not suggesting that we do this, but hear me out. <laughs> they profiled several 102 year old women who had belonged to the same group of friends for 98 years. Consistently, they saw that in these blue zones, that relationships was one of the things that set it apart, where they were the healthiest communities, the healthiest cities, had the best quality friendships. So I just wanna to submit to you, God wants to make your family, your life a blue zone. It requires intentional relationships, intentional friendships. Even married couples, I just wanna encourage you, it's healthy to have friendships outside of your marriage, beyond your spouse. That's a healthy thing to have. Even for, for, for mothers, it's really important that you have friendships beyond your kids. It's very important but it requires intentionality, it requires creativity. God will show you how to do it, but he's not, he's not expecting you to be isolated. He actually wants friendships for you, but it requires you asking him, Lord, what does this look like in my life? The enemy uses busyness to war against God-ordained friendships. The next thing he uses is offense. So many friendships stop before they're fully developed because people aren't willing to lean in. So you miss God-ordained relationships because you won't have the hard conversations. I wanna encourage you, lean in, Matthew 18, have hard conversations quickly with people so that you don't miss out on relationships the Lord has for you. He uses offense to war against God-ordained relationships. And then the last one is comparison. Comparing yourself to others will cause you to withhold who God has actually created you to be. What happens is you begin holding yourself to the measuring stick that you pulled out for someone else. Comparison at its core is really poverty. It's living a quiet conviction that there's not enough for everyone. When you have eyes to see what God is doing through every person you come in contact with, there's little room for comparison. There's this moment with John the Baptist where his, John the Baptist's disciples were feeling some kind of way about people going to follow Jesus. They started sowing these seeds of division. They're like, uh, John, 
this guy, Jesus, is baptizing people. Everybody's leaving and going over there. Aren't you going to do something about this? They literally tried to sow a seed of discord. And they were trying to get John to move into comparison with Jesus. And John's response was this in chapter 3, verse 27. He said, a person can only receive what's given to them from heaven. And he says, I'm not the Messiah. I was the one sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. Basically what he was saying, I know who I am and I know who he is. That's the Messiah. I'm the guy that prepares the way for the Messiah. There's no comparison here because I know who I am and I know who God says he is. So it allows us to walk in relationship rightly. Comparison is one of the weapons the enemy uses to war against God-ordained friendships. A war against friendship in your life is a war against territory expansion in your life. God expands territory through friendships. So again, if the enemy is coming against your friendships, it's not a war over your friendships. Don't get it twisted. It's a war over the territory that God has called you to. That's why there's war against your relationships. That's why you feel so lonely. That's why you just keep isolating yourself and pulling away from people. That's why every relationship you get close to, you get offended and you run away. Because the enemy is afraid of you expanding territory. God expands territory through friendship. Let's go back to the main text. Here's the backdrop for this story. The Lord told Moses to send spies to check out the land that he'd already promised to them. He sent 12 out. And the spies went to check out the land. They did everything Moses instructed them to do, including bring back fruit. There's this really interesting verse where it says they came back with these, this huge cluster of grapes. And it was so big that they had to carry it on a pole. It took two people. So they did everything that Moses even instructed them to do, including that. And then the 10 returned with a bad report. And then there was two that returned with a good report. But the core of the bad report was that there were giants in the land. And just like some of you, God has allowed you to peek into the land that he's calling you into. He's already begun to speak to you about the property that you're gonna own. He's already started talking to you about the family you're gonna have. He's already started showing you the marriage that he has for you that's gonna redeem the failed marriages from your family's background. He's already began to show you peaks of the promised land that he's called you to. And you were supposed to come back with a good report, but instead there's these moments where you come back sounding like the 10 that didn't. All you can see is the giants in the land. You feel like you can't get into the promised land because of your relational failures. They seem like giants to you. Failed friendships, failed marriages, failed mothering, failed fathering. Feel like you failed your mentors. You feel like you failed your pastors. Feel like you failed the one that you were entrusted to pastor over the years. These failed relationships, these giants in front of you. Giants are just things that take up too much space in our lives. They're the things that take up too much mental real estate. We can't stop thinking about it. You can't move forward because you just can't stop thinking about that. You can't dream because you can't stop thinking about that failed relationship. But you need to know that anytime it's time to expand territory, there will be giants in the land. 
But in this story, what happens is the people, they go into this craze over the bad report that comes in and they literally threaten Moses that they're gonna go, they're gonna turn around and go back to Egypt. It's just like you, you keep saying, I'm gonna go back to what's comfortable. I'm gonna go back to what's safe. I'm gonna go back to what I know. I tried to do a relationship right in the eyes of the Lord and it didn't work. So I'm gonna go back to the old way of doing relationships. But you have to remember that while Egypt seemed to be more comfortable and familiar, it was also the place of bondage. It was the place of slavery. And in the same way with you, you feel like you need to go back to the old way of doing things. And I just wanna let you know, there's no life there. There's only bondage there, it's not for you. God has hedged you in. You can't go backwards because there's Egypt there. There's only bondage and slavery there. But if you're gonna go forward, you have to confront the giants in the land. He's hedged you in, but the good news is that he knows what to do with the giants. He's not afraid of the giants. The difference between the spies that came back with the bad report and the spies that came back with the good report, which I just wanna say it's important to note the difference because the spies with the bad report never got to taste the promised land. So it's really important to know the difference because you can't be like them because you're supposed to be expanding territory, right? So the ones that brought back the good report, here's the difference, the two, Joshua and Caleb, the word of God says that they were both selected because they followed the Lord wholeheartedly. That was the thing that set them apart from the 10 spies with the bad report. It says that Caleb had a different spirit. God noted that he wasn't like the others. There was something different about Caleb. Joshua did overtime in the presence of the Lord. In Exodus 33, 11, it says that the Lord spoke to Moses face to face and Moses would leave the camp and come back in. But it says that Joshua would not depart from the tent. That he was the one that would just stay in the presence of God. So I wanna to submit to you the difference between the 10 that came back with the bad report and the two that came back with the good report is that the two that came back with the good report, Joshua and Caleb, were friends of God. And Jesus makes it plain in John 15, 14 through 15. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus wants to tell his secrets to someone. He's looking for friendship with you. It's more than a prophetic word. It's more than just knowing stuff by the Spirit. You have to understand the things that we call prophetic so much, is actually God just trying to share secrets with friends. With friends. He just wants to tell you things that he doesn't feel like no, anybody else is listening for. It's just like that moment with Uncle Tim. He was just waiting for somebody to ask him so he could share secrets with us. Joshua and Caleb were obsessed with hearing God and obeying. They were the ones who believed God. And I believe working closely with Moses actually taught them the weight of going with God and not just going for God. A lot of people think that it's Moses that said, God, I won't go if you don't come. We think that Moses started that part of the conversation. But in Exodus 33, 
it actually says first in verse 14 that God told Moses, I want to go with you. God said it first. God told Moses, I want to go with you. God was the one the whole time that was wanting friendship. Sometimes we put such an emphasis on Moses, but it was God that was desiring friendship with Moses. He didn't want to go alone any more than Moses did. And because of Joshua and Caleb's friendship with God, they were able to look at the giants like they were bread. It's actually kind of funny in Numbers 14, 9, Joshua and Caleb said this to the people. They said, and do not fear the, the giants of the land for they are bread for us. Isn't that crazy? They understood because of their friendship with God that the giants in the land were actually just provision for the Lord's friends. So you got these giants that you've come up against in relationships in your life, these things that you're afraid to confront. And in friendship with God, it's easy to see, oh, this is bread. This is God's provision for me. This is God's provision for everybody around me. Do you know that that story that I told you guys, that part of my testimony about being in that relationship with that girl, the enemy for years has tried to keep me from sharing that testimony because he knew that it was bread for somebody in the room. You have stories, giants that the Lord has already led you into victory over that you think it was just for you. But Joshua and Caleb got it. They said, no, this was just bread for us. This was provision for all of us. The word of God says in Revelation 12, 11, that they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that God works all things together for the good of, of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Genesis 50, 20 says, as for you, what you intended against me for evil, God intended for good in order to accomplish a day like this to preserve the lives of many people. You need to know that God kills giants, but he never wastes them. They are bred for us. And it doesn't say much about the relationship between Caleb and Joshua, but I believe they walked through too much together for there to be no relationship between them. Their desire to please the Lord led them shoulder to shoulder, fighting for what the Lord had promised to them. And that's where you want your friendship's birth, in the purposes of God. That's the best place to birth friendships. It wasn't about Joshua and Caleb being friends though. It was about Joshua and Caleb both being friends of God. Some of you have spent so much energy trying to find out and figure out the friendship space in church. Maybe you just moved here or you just got here and you're trying to figure out how do I find friends? What do I do? Where do I go? And there are practical things you can do and I hope some of those tools from today have really helped you and encouraged you. But I just wanna to say to you, maybe your focus is wrong. Maybe first God wants to show you friendship with Him. I believe friendship with God is a place where we can find friendship with man. But it has to be in the right order. God's idea of friendship is expanding territory together, him with us. 
He expands territory through friendship. You guys can get up on your feet. I know I already said this to you guys, but as I was praying into this weekend, loud and clear, I heard the Lord say, I want friends. And this morning, just with every eye closed, I wanna give you this question to ask the Lord. You can repeat after me, say, Lord, I know you call me friend, but have I been a good friend to you? Just listen to him for a second. with every hand lifted will you just start telling him that you want to be his friend I want you to say it so much it's uncomfortable just just start telling him just begin to tell him that you want to be his friend come on every voice just begin to tell him Jesus we want to be your friend God I want to be your friend I want friendship with you your word says that we're no longer servants but that you've called us friends we want to be your friends, God. Make us your friends, God. Would you share your secrets with us? We want to know what you're thinking. We want to know what you're saying. We want to know what you're feeling. We want to know you. Make us friends. Make us friends. Now come on, just lift up your voices. Ask him to make him your friend. Ask him to make you a friend of his. We want to be your friend. We want to be your friend. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Mercy Culture Church. If this podcast has blessed you, we'd like to encourage you to share it with a friend. To learn more about us, find us on social media and online at mercyculture.com. 